Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show, Confessions of a Creative Director, the original podcast made by a creative director for aspiring creative directors, for veteran creative directors, for creatives of all types looking to stay ahead of the game, looking to learn from other creatives in the business about how they see the world, how they operate in the world, and really learn how to become a kick-ass creative director, uh, which is the title of my book. How how convenient. Uh, What's the big idea? An indispensable guide to becoming a kick-ass creative director. My first book. It's out now. Look, listen, it's January. So if you're an aspiring creative who's looking to make a big jump this year into the creative director role, I highly recommend that you pick up this book. Um, It's chock full of all the information that you're going to need. It's a high-level guide. It's a short read, but it's chock full of really great information that you're going to need to prepare for the role. And it's really going to actually, first and foremost, set you up to have a great conversation with your boss about it. You're going to learn everything from overcoming imposter syndrome to what the role is really about, to tips and techniques on how to you know, better ideate from working with uh, the different disciplines within the organization to hiring folks. Really, everything that you need to become a kick-ass creative director is in this book. So pick it up wherever you buy books, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, and on my website. So check that out. And on today's show, I have a kick-ass creative director, of course. Mike Potter from Encore. Now, Mike's been around the block. He's worked for a ton of great uh, agencies and and brands. He's now at Encore, and he was really there at the wild, wild west, the beginning of the interwebs. He's going to talk about uh, building websites for, for brands in the very, very early stages and about how he's always been that guy that's been pushing emerging technologies and, and emerging disciplines and how he's really passionate about that. He wants to continue to go beyond the TV spot and really help brands create communities. So we're gonna talk about all of that. He's also gonna give you a great tip about hitting the mascot. And he's gonna remind us about all the fun of office hijinks in the convention at the very, very end. So I guess you just have to stay tuned, listen to the whole show. So without further ado, let's get into it with Mike Potter. Hey Mike, how's it going? Hey, hi, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm. I'm. Uh, we're recording this uh, the week right before the break, so it'll it'll air in the new year. So I hope you're kind Excellent. of uh, getting ready to to shut down a little bit and take a little uh, take a little rest. Is that accurate? Or are you going to be working through the break? Yeah, uh, doing a little work through the break. Not not a complete. Uh, not a not a total time off, but you know, picking my points picking my places to jump back in and jump out. Excellent. And um I'm going to I'm going to throw you I'm going to I'm going to put you on the spot here. Any any big uh any big New Year's resolutions coming to mind? What is, is there something that you want to be focusing on for uh for next year, which will be now as this air as this airs, it'll be it'll exactly. be 2023, which is so crazy to me. But do you have any any big uh plans? Well, from a professional standpoint, uh, I do. And, and as you know, my colleague, Aaron Miller, uh, yeah. both of us at, at our current uh, shop, which is Encore, uh, we, it's really about breaking through. And we're trying to bring this group really into a, a more national prominence from a creative standpoint, from the ability, yeah. uh, from our uh, getting some projects that really, uh, you know, 
get out there and, and make people take notice and, uh, uh, you know, just make a big splash. And that's, that's really what my goal will be for 2023. And I, I'm, you know, Aaron's too, we're, we're all really psyched about creating something, uh, new that, that, uh, that the industry hasn't seen yet. That's cool. And as I, as I was going, um, and Aaron Miller, just for the folks listening, I've had on my show as well. It's a great episode. You want to check that out. Um, I, I would say as I, I was doing my research here on you that that's kind of been a hallmark of your of your career in, in a sense, right? You're, you, you seem to always be wanting to do something different, wanting to break through and and kind of, you know, break down some silos and and things like that. So why don't why don't you kind of give us a, a, a brief uh, overview of sort of your career trajectory, which has been, um, you know, pretty extensive, lots of different agencies, lots of different brands. Uh, why don't you give us a, a little, give the audience a little overview of what you've done? Well, sure. So, and as I was telling you earlier, uh, it, I, I sort of started my career by accident almost. Uh, I was getting an MBA degree way back in the day, uh, and I was in a computer student computer lab, and there was this kid using this thing next to me, and I asked him what it was, and he said it was this thing called Mosaic, and he was looking at the quote-unquote World Wide Web, and I had no idea what he was talking about. And <laughs> I just became fascinated with it. And uh, I sort of, you know, I, I, I guess I was prescient in that I saw that it was going to uh, do something, um, you know, it was gonna mean something in society and it was gonna change things. Uh, obviously I didn't see how much, or I would have invested in a lot more tech companies <laughs> when I had the chance, <laughs> yeah. but, but I did think it was going to be important. And so I ended up, uh, I ended up uh, wanting to get a, a job in advertising when I when I was finished with the MBA. Uh, in that I didn't see any big corporations or any kind of cool marketing job that was going to give me the opportunity at that point to do anything with the internet. So that's going to start to give you an idea how long ago this was. But I uh, had learned how to started teaching myself how to make websites. Started learning graphics packages. And so uh, I made a website for myself and I was kind of posting my POVs on there about the internet. And uh, I was, you know, sending it out uh, uh, to different agencies and uh, somebody from Young and Rubicam saw it and uh, they made me there. I was the fourth person hired for what they were calling their new technologies group. And uh, so, yeah, I, I started working there um, as like a, I, I, back then it was, four people handling essentially all of the entire Young and Rubicam footprint globally for like internet questions. Like, and every client would, you know, what's this internet thing? And so, you know, <laughs> if it was in Colombia or wherever they would, it would basically percolate up to us. And then one of us would have to like go and deal with it. But it was this great experience because I got to do everything. Like I was doing, I was a media person. I was an account person. I was like actually hand coding HTML websites. I was doing graphics. I was wow. doing the copy. And so it was, it was fantastic. It was the wild west sort of. And so I did that for like about two years. And then they started as, as you know, these things go, they start formalizing it. And now you have to have a job title. And so I, I wanted to stay on the creative side and I uh, wanted to focus on copy and sort of, uh, as a creative director. So I became an associate creative director at, and, you know, we, I, I, you know, like I built the first websites for Dr. Pepper and seven up. Um, wow. I did the first interfaces for, uh, the postal service when they, uh, were doing their first e-commerce sites. So some really cool stuff. And 
but and sort of to get to to your sort of the way you led into this, it was from the beginning always a you know Younger Rubicam was a big brand agency, and so it was always about the TV spot. But yeah. the clients were sort of like, well, but this internet thing is kind of interesting. And so they'd bring us in as a, you know, this like a dog and pony show sort of like, look at these cool like websites and here's the, <laughs> here's what a banner ad looks like. And, and for, I was always trying to, and that was always frustrating to me because we were always the sort of add on. And I was always really trying to push doing more and doing more and, and that, that, you know, there, there could be greater uh, collaboration and integration between what was on the TV spot and, and what was happening on it, on the web. And obviously the technologies were much more primitive back then. So you couldn't do as integrated, let's say, but there was still no reason why, uh, why camp a campaign couldn't be more integrated and, you know, sort of like trickle down at least into what was happening on the internet. And, you know, and, many years into my career, we started putting the URL on the, you know, tagging it at the end of the TV spot. And that was, yeah, you know, big news and that's integration. And, and, yeah. And so it's always been, you know, really trying to just, it, I love the technology and I love, I love the idea of like that. It's another form of creativity and seeing how this technology can be used in new ways to engage a consumer, engage your audience. And so it's, it's all, that's always been really fascinating to me that that's sort of another avenue of creativity. These brand creatives, they just had, you know, the TV spot and that was it, or they had the print ad and that was it. But like we had art copy and technology and that it was a way to sort of really uh, integrate into somebody's life and, and become immersive. And so I, it's just always, I feel like through my career, I've been always trying to push that and, and and move people in that direction and so yeah. um you know sometimes it's super fun and sometimes it's super frustrating <laughs> yeah and we're and we're going to talk a little bit more about about that uh here in a second because it's 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 an interesting topic and it's you know it, and i want to see you know kind of how your thoughts have evolved on that so given that you have sort of a unique way into this world um, how would you describe the the role of a creative director? How have you personally experienced the role of, of a creative director? Um, well, I had a, a one of my first bosses who was a creative director, and he he had come into the role himself through less than traditional channels, and and he always he basically explained to me that that his role was problem solver, and he used mm. to. You know, I heard him say to people, our graphic designers or art directors who came in that, you know, if you want to if you want to do what you want to do, be an artist, you know, like express that's express your creativity that way, express just what you want and make a statement and put it out in the world. But if you're being a creative on a professional basis, it's about problem. It's about using creativity to solve a problem. And that's how yeah. I've always looked at it ever since then, because I really like that, that that you know, just that, that mindset of being a problem yeah. solver, that when you look at things as, a, as if they're a problem and you're trying to figure out a way to solve something and get to that, the best possible solution for your client, it, I, it just is a great way to frame everything. And I think it, uh, one of the things that always drove me nuts is when 
account people or the clients sort of would write off the creatives as just sort of goofs who, you know, sit around <laughs> reading comic books and, uh, you know, riding their little like scooters or something that, you know, I think in a way that, that the, the creatives and creative problem solving is, is a really powerful tool and it needs to be taken seriously. And I think, and I, you know, I, I love the strategic part of the job as well. And I'm yeah always really grounded in a strategy and I'll push back on the strategists if I don't think that they're on the right track. And, and because I think it really needs to be an integrated process. It just can't be, here's a silo where we create right. strategy and we pop it out and now we give it to you and the creatives uh, silo. And so, um, so, so yeah, I would say like, I, I, I look at it as being a problem solver and um, I think, I just think that's a wonderful challenge and it's, you know, because who doesn't need to solve problems in some part of their life, professional or personal. Yeah. And I just think it's a great way to look at things. Yeah. And I think uh, I'm with you. And I think that, that traditionally, right. It's been seen as kind of like, um, you can, so you can solve problems with creativity, right? So I love this idea that you're, you're sort of pushing back or can push back on, um, you know, on the strategy when it comes through and maybe it's not, you're seeing it in a different way, right? As opposed to just taking the, the brief and, and accepting it wholesale because you're seeing it from a, from a bigger, um, from a different lens, right? So with that in mind, what are some parts of your process, your creative process? Are there certain things, certain tools, certain, um, you know, techniques or things that you like to implement, let's say when you're coming up, you've just gotten a new brief for a new client, are there certain things that you like to do? Um, you know, like a long time ago, my, and this is even before I really got into advertising, my father, who uh, is a, passed the bar exam and is a, has his law degree. It ended up, long story that he never ended up practicing law, but he did give me a book that one of his law professors once gave him. It's a little book can't remember. I know I have it somewhere, but it's called uh, How to Solve It. And it was just yeah. this little thin book. Um, I, I'll, I'll have to dig up the name and the title and email it to you later. But yeah. it was it's it's a great little treatise on how to, you know, essentially paring the problem down to it's like just base, you know, like getting rid of all the superfluous stuff surrounding and what at the very core is what you're trying to solve. And so I always like to um, you know, a lot of times you'll, strategic briefs, I, I sometimes feel can be really overburdened or over, uh, laden with a lot of fluff. And they, yeah. I think that there's, you know, everybody wants to show their worth. So sometimes these briefs end up being a little bit more, <laughs> uh, detailed than they need to be. Than they and need I think to be. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, but I think that's, you know, I, I I'm not trying to, I, I know, uh, I, don't want any of my strategist friends to get to get angry about this, but I think we all do it. I know I do it in my own, do it too. But everybody likes to hear themselves talk, and everybody likes to express their opinion, and and that's like really the most one of the biggest disciplines you have to have in life is paring it down to its essence. Yeah. You know, like less is always, always, always more. And so, again, with a brief, just really so just for myself. Uh, getting it to the very bare minimum of what is really the core problem 
and then you can work with your team to sort of, you know, take that, talk through the brief with them and then really guide them on like, here's the very core of what we're trying to do. Um, I used to be at uh, Organic, uh, which was part of BBDO, and we sat in the BBDO office in New York, and we would work on AT&T and DirecTV there. And there was a strategist there, God, I wish I could remember his name, who once gave us a three-line brief. It was fantastic, and I've loved it ever since. And it was just the, the, the three lines were two uh get to buy is buy, it the get to buy yeah yeah to buy and there's another one i can't think of it but it's just three it's just three lines and it was so and i've always and i start i've started to use that as well as like a way yeah. to you know okay here's your big brief but like at the end of the day here's what you're trying to do yeah and uh, i think that really helps absolutely especially for yeah. young creatives who like get overwhelmed with too much information sometimes you know you got to just really show them exactly what is important and what's not. And, and this is what you're trying to do. Yeah, especially because, you know, if they're the ones that are doing the bulk of um, not the bulk, but they're doing a lot of the, the work, right? And they may be involved in several other projects. It's sort of the burden is on the creative director to take in all that information that you just talked about, right? Whether it's a 20 page brief, and then, you know, synthesizing that down to the single-minded proposition or the get-to-buy statement or whatever. But you want to make it as easy for them because they have other things, you know, that they have to worry about. So I, I love that. Exactly. I love that you're kind of taking on that burden and, and helping them really get it concise. Yeah. What else? Is there anything else um, that you do? Especially, I'm, I'm curious because... Well, I, I usually view. try to run things by my boss yeah. here. So he he's always right here <laughs> he's showing that for those of you just literally throughout the day podcast. he sits right there so and he keeps me on what, what's his that. yeah what, what's his uh, his what's name a, is rara okay rara so you have to run everything by rara i love it uh exactly. but is there anything yeah. else so given that you're you know that you not a big fan of silos like to kind of keep everything everybody connected is there anything yeah else i love part I, of your you process? know I, I love I love collaborating. I, I think that's, you know, extremely important. I think getting, you know, as a varied background, you know, nice eclectic mix of people uh, with different backgrounds. Um, I think that's always important. Um, and I, I always love to push people to, you know, and, and after having just said, you know, getting down to the base of the problem and really, really narrowing it down, I think it's also, if you ever saw the movie uh, Bull Durham, uh, the Tim Robbins character is finally got out of his head and he's reaching his talent and he's just pitching phenomenally. And Kevin Costner comes out and tells him to hit the mascot. And he's, he's like, just do it, just hit the mascot. And it's kind of, and he does, and it kind of calms him down again. And I think that that, I like that also, you know, give me, you know, follow that track that I've given you, but also, just throw one out there, like whatever you think. I mean, disregard <laughs> what the strategy is. Disregard, just what, if you could solve the problem, how would you do it, you know? Okay. And I think that that's like, you know, I, I like to do that just to, again, get people break out of the, like, okay, well, here's what I have to think because I'm being told to think this way. But if it was up to me and sometimes, you know, sometimes you find little nuggets in those, if yeah. I was doing it, that you, that, they might not have thought actually fit into what you're trying to do. Yeah. But 
you can pull them out and suddenly that becomes a great idea. And that's great because then they're passionate about it because it's their thought and not what people were telling them to like kind of work around. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to, I'll call that the um, uh, hit the mascot technique. I like like that. Hit the mascot. All right. So, you you know, uh, we've talked about this on our, on our pre-call and and just in general, you, you know, you've always been, again, coming in, with new technology, right? And when you were talking about being on the cutting edge of developing websites and user interfaces and things like that to sort of coming in and, and really wanting to to talk about experiences and what that means. You're, you've always sort of been, if I'm, if I'm thinking about this correctly, on the outside looking in, right? You're coming into these agencies and you're- uh, Sometimes feels that way, yes. <laughs> yeah, trying to show the value. Yeah. So, what, you know, t- tell me about that whole you know, I'll call it a struggle because <laughs> I've experienced it as well. Being, you know, spending a lot of time talking about experiential, but kind of give us a paint the picture of that whole struggle and and what that's been like, and sort of what your mission is uh, these days in regards to that. Sure. Um, yeah. It. It. You know. I. I guess I did touch on this a little in the beginning about sort of the sometimes the. The, cha- the the fun challenge and sometimes the frustrating challenge of always sort of being like the outside the 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 component that's like outside the big component so you right. know working just referring back to when I was at organic and we were sitting with BBDO working on AT&T and DirecTV and you know that was an environment that was very focused on the big TV campaign, you know, like that is like that the anthem spot and then everything sort of boils down from that. But it's like, here's your anthem spot. Here's your manifesto. And then everything that we did sort of on a digital new media kind of social level was just in, it was in reinforcing that story that was being presented in television. And so, um, and there were just, you know, many instances that, you know, you kind of start to wonder, like, well, why are we doing it this way? Uh, you know, um, and it it, it it just always led to a lot of, of frustration, especially because, like, we would go in and pitch, you know, well, we'll do a series of social videos that, you know, are using your spokespeople. We can, you know, we'll crank out like, you know, 20 of them and for like half the cost that it was that they were that the agency you know the brand agency people were saying you know like one of their spots one of their 30 second spots was going to be you know twice what we're asking just to do these 20 little tiny spots like in between their takes of their 30 second or something so it was always like frustrating i was like we're getting so much more you know sort of bang for the buck here like why why are we basing everything on this and so and uh, it, it just it, I, I it's just always been frustrating from that that standpoint of like sure. feeling like you're you have to not only sell the client but the the rest of the agency about why this is a great idea. And I think like one of the right. best examples, and this is really what led to me getting into uh, events and experiential, was that I was working on. Uh, a brand American family insurance and BBDO had that and they, they were selling them uh, this big uh, brand campaign 
And we were coming in with sort of supporting, you know, big digital initiative kind of things. And they were generally supposed to be in support of what BBDO was doing. Mm -hmm. But we came up with an idea for a sort of branded event that uh, American Family had these great uh, um, brand ambassador relationships. So they had John Legend and uh, J.J. Watt and T.J. Watt and uh, Richard Sherman and Kathy Ireland and a whole bunch of people. And so we created this tour that went to five different cities. And at each stop, there was a different uh, one of these different uh, big celebrities came in and all of the local agents would invite clients to come in and uh, they would work with a, a nonprofit in the city to do something. So like uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, J.J. Watt and T.J. Watt and Derek Watt came and we worked with a uh, all the we packed all these boxes of food staples at a homeless shelter. Yeah. And, or a food kitchen. And in uh, Seattle, we worked with Richard Sherman and Bobby Wagner of the Seahawks to pack like 3000 backpacks full of uh, hygiene essentials for a homeless organization. And and so uh, in the feedback that we got from these like events where people came and devoted, you know, five hours of their time and got to meet uh, these celebrities, but also just do something good for the community. The feedback we got was amazing. I've never re I've never gotten feedback like this for any work I've ever done to where I had agents who were forwarding me emails that said, you know, it was one of one of their clients that I was about to leave American Family because I thought your rates are too high. But I, and then, but then I said, I'd wait until I got to come meet J.J. Watt. And now that I see what what my money is like, my premiums, like I'm supporting a company that believes in this i'm staying yeah. with you <laughs> like you That's know just cool. amazing stuff like that like directly impacted and meanwhile i'm off doing like social videos for at&t and direct tv and it's just you just we do a really great video and we post it and then we go look at the comments and it's like you know my coverage sucks why can't i get a signal you overcharged me yada right. yada you know it's just like pages and pages of this like it was just we're shouting out into the ether. Nobody's listening, you know, shouting into the abyss. Meanwhile, like when we're on the ground, get, you know, giving people some reason to be involved and to believe in something, suddenly it's just cutting through all that clutter that surrounds them that you get on social right. media or anywhere else in your life. And so no, I think you're right on because I think the question is, how do we, you know, convince to your point, even sometimes our own agencies and the client that the experiences and the experiential and those things can be the lead, right? And can and should be mm -hmm. the lead, right? So in your previous models, you talk about how it's always been the big TV spot that leads, right? And you kind of like, you're lucky to get in there in between takes and record a little bit or do some other yeah. little thing, right? But, you know, and I think some brands are already doing it when you can lead with that experience and then everything else kind of works around it that can be super powerful and talk about breaking through um the clutter right when you can see you know mm -hmm. so um, um, maybe i'm i'm over uh, analyzing it here or overthinking it but it's like if you could see a tv spot that was made from a brand experience that's totally different right because you see people experiencing the brand in a different exactly. way and you created the commercial around that 
right, as opposed to the other way around. And I think that that's, you know, something that I am passionate about as well. And it's, you know, if I'm being honest, it's it's still a struggle. And I think that's where, you know, brands want to break through and they want to win a, a can lion and all that stuff. And I'm like, guess what? I don't think it's going to happen just with a TV spot. It's going to have to be something much bigger and much more meaningful than that. Exactly. And, I, you know, that's one of the things. And and I, having been in advertising as long as I have and working at the brand agency sort of a lot of the time from sort of coming in from the new technology, you know, uh, aspect. So, you know, first it was websites, then rich media, then social media, then, you know, mobile and AR, whatever it is now, you know, there's always been this fear in agencies with, with all like with the technology that, you know, we're, you know, what are we going to do? Like, how do like, what is it putting us out of business? And, you know, I think to a certain extent that the fears have been well-founded to a lot of these agencies and you see them now by just everything they're, they're doing, you know, like nobody really knows exactly what a, an agency is doing anymore, especially like the really traditional agencies. If you know, you see some of the work that goes to can these days, it's all about like, can we, you know, what kind of earned media stunt can we pull? And I would argue that those big, you know, media exposure stunts are, are not well money, well spent that like, but what I think, what I think the technology all along has done is it's, it's, given people more access uh, to their passions and to each other. So what I think, you know, the, the market really now comes down to, it's not, it's not so much about consumers in my mind, but it's about communities and communities forming around whether it's a product or a, 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 some kind of content series or, uh, you know, whatever their passion is. A lot of the times that you, you need, I feel like the great thing about experiential is we're speaking to communities now. You're giving them something to experience and that's what they want. Yeah. Um, and a TV spot just isn't feeding that anymore. I mean, people, unless you're watching live sports, I don't know that TV is reaching anyone really. And, uh, and even on live sports, I see spots all the time when I'm watching football. They're funny spots, but... I can't imagine them changing my mind on anything. I already have the things I like and the things I don't like. But what does affect me is like when I, something that I experience and I see that there's a group of people around it who are like-minded and I can interact with. And as a community, I come in and have this experience with them. That's going to change my mind about whether I want to do something or spend money on something. And I think, I think that that's where, experiential has has really kind of is ready to take off has a chance to really take off by the more we push our clients to this realization that you know um like harley davidson you know like what's going to be more what is more impactful to a harley guy yeah. some kind of experience that he can do because he's already considers himself a harley person yeah. Or a television spot, you know, like or, or somebody who's wondering whether they should buy a Harley. Here's a group I can join or here's this group experience that I can have with the brand or a TV spot. You're, you're always you can get like a guy who rides a Honda and get him to come to a Harley event and see the passion and the community around it. That's going to be the most powerful selling tool. 
I, I think that the biggest issue, and I, I'm curious to get your take on this, as to why we're not using experiential more is because it's hard to measure. Or not hard, but they, but the measurement is wrong, right? It's typically how much did it cost to do this thing divided by how many people came through it. And that is, I think, just, just wrong-headed and it doesn't make sense. But when you do the math that way, it's like, well, this didn't make any sense. But if you add those additional layers like we're talking about, like, like okay, we're going to do this Harley event. And it's funny that you mentioned Harley because I did an RFP for them a few years ago. That was pretty cool. Um, and we didn't win. But um, when you when you do the thing, the event, the experience, and then you create content at that, that maybe gets turned into a TV spot or a content series or whatever, now you're kind of adding m much more reach and it's different. It feels different. It's not just, you know, a 2D kind of thing on your screen. It's like, whoa, I can, I can see what these people experience and maybe there's testimonials and maybe there's like, you know, of, of, you know, footage of the, the POV of somebody riding a bike. I don't know. But when you look at it that way and you measure it that way, now it becomes, you know, better. But Typically, people don't have or aren't thinking that far ahead. Yeah, and I think it also kind of comes down to if you're if you if you buy my take that it's about community. Well, communities are like sort of living, breathing organisms, and they take you have to nurture them. You just can't. It can't yeah. just be about the big hit. It just can't be about we're going to dump a bunch of money, do this big thing, and hope that that somehow magically grows into something it has to be nurtured all along that you know there's this the leading into it and and generating awareness and getting interested and getting people involved and having some kind of you know not just you experience it but there's some sort of i've taken a step to be part of this that whether it's you know an email address or sharing it somehow on social or, or doing so or, or giving an interview that can be used as a testimonial online in a video however it is and then then yes having a really smart plan to seed it out afterwards and and to keep people engaged and so if you're not you know you don't want to just one of the things we do at encore is we we do have a lot of like association clients and it, it's really trying to make them understand like hey like we're not going to you, know, you don't want to just have your people come and you don't want to only be part of their life and relevant one time a year for a couple of days. You want to be relevant to them all along and you want to show your value to them all, all along, all throughout the year, because otherwise, you know, why am I spending all this money on my dues just to go to this one thing once a year? Right. You need to have value throughout the year. And that that's and, and I think that's part of the issue. And I don't know that anybody is really cracked that yet as to how to, you know, the most effective ways to, because it's, it's another expense, right? You do a big event and yeah. then, you know, you do a big activation, but then you also have to have all the support around it. But um, I think that's really, that's going to be, I think the best way to measure sort of effectiveness is how, how, effective as it is at keeping people involved throughout the year, then you have to figure mm. out, well, what's a, what is a rational, you know, what's a, a reasonable level of involvement and, and yeah, you know, the, so more measuring yeah. it more in terms of the, enga in yeah. terms of the engagement, the long-term engagement. So let me ask you this question. 
um, is, is what's it going to take to get to this vision that that both you and I seem to be kind of sharing, right? You know, in my opinion, what the first step is like having a having a a seat at the at the table at the bigger table, right? So when when we're when we're um, when we're talking about planning for next year, that experiential has a seat at that table, right? And it's not again we're we're a channel. We're like, oh, we'll we'll think about that later. It's like we have a seat at the table. But are there other things that you think can help us make this this shift that that you're talking about? Um, well, I guess if we're talking about strictly from like, from, you know, what's going to benefit us as the agency, us as the creatives, you know, maybe we need to be in this coming just off the top of my head, but maybe we need to be more proactive about when we do, you know, when we do events, um, if there's a way, cause obviously there's client issues and everything, but like we have access to these clients or, or these uh, call them community members, consumers, whatever you want to call them, who come through these uh, engagement, uh, these experiences. So we have access to them. What is it like? What are we learning? Why are they coming to these? And like, what are we learning? And is there something you know that that's unique and different? That you know, what is it about their passion for this brand or this service or this association or whoever it is? What is it that's making them come? And what is it? What can we find that's unique? What's that? that you know what's the little nugget of data that we can pull out that nobody else has access to and you know like because what we've had you know you can call up tons of people and have them take surveys but like until they actually you know the the feet hit the pavement and they actually go to an experience and and participate in it that's their time that's their you know time and effort why did they invest that in this and if we can figure that out then you know, we've really, you know, we just moved a whole bunch of people and got them to do something. But what was it? And if, you know, are those insights better, different, more unique than than what anybody else is bringing to the table? And, you know, maybe we have a unique insight into these people. And how can we how can we pull that out and use it to our advantage to show that, like, hey, we know these people as well, if not better than anyone else? Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, so we've come um, to that time in the program where it's time to uh, pay off the, the title of the show, Confessions okay. of a Creative Director. Um, you know, Mike Potter, what is your what is your creative director confession, if you have one? Um, when I so when I when I first started in the business at, at Young and Rubicam, it was at a building, uh, two eighty five Madison Avenue giant building we had, they had the wow, whole Madison thing. Avenue, big wow. behemoth. yeah big behemoth yeah it was yeah um but it was so i'm old and uh it was back <laughs> in the day they used to have actual inner office mail so there would be like a bin and you would walk by and, and they had the inner office mail envelopes that you would they had like the little string you know and you put something in and then you, <laughs> yeah i remember those yeah it had all these like places that you would write in who was going to so you'd write in and then once you received it you crossed out the last person it went to and you could write in who it was going to so i i used to uh so i would every day have a banana and so i don't know for some reason i started putting I decided, you know, it'd be funny to send this one guy the banana peel in the inner office mail. So I stuck it in the inner <laughs> office mail. 
And he got it. And, you know, I, it was mystery. And I realized that it was kind of like no, there was no way for them to figure out that I was doing it because, you know, I wouldn't drop it in my own floor or even near my desk. I would go to another floor and drop it off. And so I was I was, you know, essentially doing it to people for like a, a, a number of months. And then it, it got to the point where they were sending out like memos asking people not to abuse the inner office mail system. So <laughs> but how's that for a confession? That's pretty good. I love, I love that. I love that. I love <laughs> And I think there's, you know, I, I'm, I, uh, while I love working from, from home, uh, you know, I hope that we get back to going in a couple of days a week to, for, for that kind of hijinks, right. And, and just pranks yeah. and things. I know. <laughs> remember a guy taped a banana. That's funny. You mentioned the banana. Maybe it's a creative director thing taped a, a banana to um to my to the underside of my desk and i was like what is that smell and i couldn't find it for months and months <laughs> and i finally found this this rotten That's banana excellent. so i i missed the uh the office hijinks so maybe we'll we'll yeah. get back uh to that but that's and, a good I'm one i'm completely I like that. aware that i i'm completely aware that i did say earlier that it made me mad when account people thought creatives were goofs <laughs> so I've just completely it ruined my perfect. own arguments. So. No, no, no. We are goofed, and that's okay. I think I think we we need all. all you can still be smart types. and goofy. That's right. You can if, if you take away nothing from this pot this podcast episode, it's it's that it's because you can still be smart and goofy. Well, Mike, uh, thank you for exactly. being on the show. I appreciate it. Um, I, I my pleasure. Uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. I you know I wish you well in this uh, in this endeavor in this joint endeavor that both I think you and I share to uh, you know kind of bring what we do to the forefront and and make it a bigger part of the marketing mix. And uh, I wish you guys continued success. And I'm sure we'll be in touch. And uh, thanks again for being on the Definitely. show. You're right, welcome. Man. Thank you so much. And and same right back to you. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of Confessions of a Creative Director in the Books. Thanks to my very special guest, Mike Potter from Encore. Hey, that was a great show. Uh, I want to thank Mike for sharing his wisdom, his thoughts about going beyond the TV spots and, and just reminding us about uh, the fun that can be had in the office. So I don't know if I'm quite ready to go back uh, full time, but it definitely would be fun to come into the office and, and put a a banana in the inner office mail, although that doesn't exist anymore. So I'll have to figure something else out. Maybe, maybe something having to do with email. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe to the show on YouTube, um, uh, anywhere you get your podcast. Let's help build this, this podcast up further this year. Tell your friends about it. If you have any creative friends who work at agencies or brands, let them know about the show. Um, and let's keep building this thing up. Please pick up a copy of my book, What's the Big Idea? An Indispensable Guide to Becoming a Kick-Ass Creative Director. And uh, yeah, let's have a um, happy and successful 2023. So until next time, peace, love, and creativity. See ya. Make